I love what Charlotte just said to me when uh, Marion read, by this time a lot of men and women of doubtful reputation were hanging around Jesus. She looked at me and said, that's you and me, Robert. <laughs> it's pretty true. <laughs> Well, one thing about living here that I love is all the uh, wildlife we experience. Charlotte, did you hear what I just said? I just, I, just, I just said you were a person of questionable reputation like me, and we're hanging around Jesus, as you pointed out when we were sitting. I am questionable. Sorry, I missed the humor. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, one thing I really love about living here is all, the, is all the wildlife we are exposed to, and I'm not talking about the wildlife on Hyman Avenue on a Saturday night, but rather the, the kind that lives outdoors whose living quarters humankind continues to infringe upon. And while we don't have lions and tigers around, we sure have a lot of bears, don't we? There are almost as many warning-sized locked cars and homes up as, as there are people. I know in our neighborhood, which is close by the chapel, bears have been in and out of kitchens, refrigerators, garages, unlocked storage containers, and they seem to have a particularly affinity for ice cream, which is kind of fun. And frankly, I love all the activity of the bears, the deer, the squirrels, the snakes, and all the birds. It's just a great time of year. And perhaps because my affinity for wildlife, a headline in the Vail Daily News caught my attention this week. Maybe, maybe you saw it. It was posted in the Aspen Times, but it was from the Vail Daily News. The headline of the story in question read, Sheep Rescued After Three Days Stuck on Vail Porch. Well, as I understand it, apparently a plumber working for a property manager went to do some work at an empty house, and upon arrival, the fellow discovered a sheep on the balcony of the house. And I don't know how they know it, but apparently the sheep had been there for three long days, stuck on that balcony. No one knows how the sheep got there or why it was there to begin with. And I began to think about the fact, why was it there and how long was it there? It's, it's amazing. And perhaps it was because that sheep was the black sheep of the family who was trying to get away. Or maybe it was too sheepish to call out for help. <laughs> or maybe it, was, maybe it was reading the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but whatever the reason, this is not a fake use story. <laughs> oh, sorry. Now, anyway, the plumber did call for some help, and help arrived, and folks were able to rescue the sheep. Apparently, it was taken good care of. It's going to find a great home. And when it said a good home will be found, I thought, oh, my God, it's going to go to a house that likes lamb chops. It was just... <laughs> <laughs> One final thing about the story. Apparently, folks were figuring, uh, while they were figuring out how to rescue the sheep, they noticed the sheep was, was staring at its own reflection in the window. And they concluded that for some reason the sheep believed that the reflection it saw, it didn't realize that it was really not seeing itself, but it, the sheep thought it was seeing its own herd. And it was totally lost. That poor thing was clearly lost on that balcony. Lost, that's an interesting word, isn't it? It's used all kinds of places and sometimes helpful, sometimes not. And being lost can mean so, different, so many different things and be used in a variety of different ways. We, we know we can be lost when we're in an area in which we don't know where we are. We can be lost when our directions are wrong. We can feel lost when we're confused about a decision make we have to make. We can feel lost about the future. We can feel lost and alone in our feelings and thoughts. 
Because I think about the idea of being lost, it, it kind of strikes me that being lost is somewhat like being disconnected and separated. And sometimes in life we are disconnected from who we are or what we're meant to be. Sometimes we can be disconnected from what makes us healthy. We can be disconnected from what brings us joy. We can be disconnected from health in a relationship. We can be disconnected from knowing what to do in a certain situation. And of course, we can also feel disconnected from God or a sense of God's presence or healing power. As I've thought about this idea of being lost and disconnected, it strikes me that when it comes to being lost, it really is often a matter of degree. We can feel lost and confused when it comes to a very specific area in life or a very specific relationship or a very specific issue or a very specific question we have. And we can feel lost in those kinds of specific ways all the way to feeling lost in general about our lives. But my hunch is that for many of us here today, we each in varying degrees know what feeling lost is, is all about. How many of us have felt lost over something that our children are dealing with and we don't know how to help? How many of us have felt lost over aiding our aging parents or dealing with our own aging? How often have we felt lost with something our spouses are struggling with or something that's going on at work or something to do with a friend? Well, there's good news about all this, and that is that Jesus has a lot to say to us, at least to those of us who feel lost now and then. Our reading today is from the 15th chapter of Luke, and in this chapter we heard the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin. I will say that follows what, two, what follows these two parables is the, is the parable of the prodigal son, which we're not getting into today, but the, today's reading is about the lost sheep and the lost coin. And we know that Jesus often taught with parables, which is a kind of story. He was a master at this kind of story. And what's great about parables is each time you read them or hear them, often something brand new will pop out for us when we hear it. Well, when we encounter Jesus in this part of Luke's gospel, large crowds have been following him. And in the midst of a crowd of people, we are told there were a bunch of tax collectors and sinners. These sinners, these tax collectors, were trying to get close to Jesus as they wanted to hear what he had to say. Now, we may know this, but remember the word sin means missing the mark or not doing what is in alignment with the love of God. And the funny thing about sin is that often different people have different definitions of what sin is and sin is not. And Unfortunately, we know that sometimes religious folks come up with all kinds of definitions of sin, many of which we might find questionable, like not being in the right denomination or doing this or not doing that activity in a religious setting. But anyway, in those days, one scholar notes that people were sinning or missing the mark in all kinds of ways. There were those who did crooked things like ripping people off when collecting taxes, hence the reference to tax collectors in our story today. There were those who did immoral things like cheating and lying. There were those whom some thought were sinners because they did not meet rigid religious standards like praying or fasting at the right time of day. And there were there, and then there, of course, were those people from an area called Sumerian Gentile who were not part of the Jewish community and as such were considered to be sinners because they were not part of the right group. Also, in Jesus' day, when what you ate and who you ate with were considered to be very critical issues. This was certainly true for Jews who believed that meals were a religious experience with strict rules to follow. To eat together was to celebrate faith, and there were very specific guidelines for how food was to be consumed. 
As one person writes about this, our, our story, this person writes, Jesus offended a lot of people with his table manners. He ignored the finger bowl by his plate. He ate whatever was put in front of him. He thought nothing of sitting down with people, with filthy people whose lives declared their contempt for religion. People saw him eating and they knew who he was, someone who had lost all sense of what was right, who appeared to condone sin by eating with sinners and who might as well have spit in the faces of the good people who raised him. Well, anyway, at the beginning of our reading today, we heard that Jesus is with all kinds of sinners. And what happens next is that the local clergy, clergy association shows up and they sit down at a table right across from Jesus and the sinners. And when the clergy association's food comes, they hold hands and they pray, but they can hardly eat because they're so shocked by how Jesus is eating and who he's eating with. He actually looks as if everything's okay. And the members of the ministerial association look at each other. And as one person writes about this whole story, what kind of message does Jesus think he's sending? Who's going to believe anything he says about God if he keeps such company? Well, in hearing about what is said about him and who he is eating with, Jesus launches into the two parables today. The first one is the parable of the lost sheep. Jesus says, I want you to imagine you have 100 sheep and that you lose one of them. Now, wouldn't you leave the 99 and go after the one that's lost? Well, as we think about Jesus' questions, it, it is clear that some people would have heard this story and said, of course not. I wouldn't leave the 99. Forget the one. But Jesus says the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes out to find the one. And when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulder and goes back home. And what's amazing about the story is not only that the shepherd leaves the 99 sheep, but that when he finds the one lost sheep, he doesn't return to the flock but instead he goes home with one who had been lost. It's as if the shepherd says, the 99 sheep don't need me, so instead I will take home the one that does. The great southern preacher Robert Capon writes about this, and I love this. I think the real meaning of the one in the 99 is that the one lost sheep is the whole human race as it really is. And the 99 sheep who never get lost are the whole human race as we think we are. So Jesus' focus is on who we truly are, not on who we think we are. There's not one person in the world who is sin-free, and Jesus came into the world to reach out to sinners, came into the world to find each one of us. And Jesus, through this parable, is reminding both those, he's eat, both those he is eating with and the religious authorities who think they are so great that actually everybody is exactly in the same boat when it comes to sin and being lost. Jesus' point, we all have cracks. We all have imperfections. We all have flaws. And I say, thank God. Jesus then tells the parable of the lost coin. Jesus says, imagine a woman who has ten coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and scour the house, looking in every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, you can be sure she'll call her friends and say, celebrate with me, I've found my lost coin. Well, if you think about it, the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin are similar. Both involve finding something that is lost. In the story of the lost coin, the woman puts all of her energy and focus into finding the lost coin, just like the shepherd puts everything into finding the lost sheep. But unlike a sheep who may know it is lost, the lost coin does not know or understand that it's lost. Coins can't think. 
And we put the two parables together in what Jesus is saying. Jesus makes it clear that God's primary focus is not on our sins and what we do wrong. Rather, God's passion and greatest need is to find us, to reach us, to connect to us, whether or not we know we are lost, whether we are like the lost sheep that knows it or the lost coin that doesn't. God seeks us. God wants to find those who don't think they are lost just as much as God wants to find those who know they are lost. The latter part was the message of the Pharisees that day. They were criticizing and chastising Jesus for who he was speaking to and hanging around with, yet Jesus responds by telling them how desperately God wants to find them too. Even if they don't know, they need to be found by God. As an important aside, we certainly live in an era, don't we, in which many who say they follow Jesus are mean as rattlesnakes express hatred, exclusion, narrow views, and anything but the love of God. And it's essential that we remind ourselves each and every day, all of us need to remind ourselves each and every day, the obvious point that we talk about, but we need to remind ourselves each and every day that every single human being matters to God. And we need to ask ourselves, do we believe it? Do we live it? Do we show it? Do our words reflect it? Do our actions convey it? God is passionate about every person, everyone we shake hands with, everyone in our rearview mirror, everyone with a bumper sticker that ticks us off, everyone we see on CNN, everyone we see on Fox, everyone on every podcast, everyone that Twitters and Snapchats, billions and billions of people, and every single one matters to God. Even those we consider to be outrageous, unkind, immoral, and corrupt. Do we believe, as Jesus said, that every single human being matters to God? Do our lives reflect it? Do we preach it? Do we proclaim it? Christianity is taking a lot of hits these days, and we can do a lot to help our cause by living the truth that every single human being matters to God. Anyway, back to the parables. I've been thinking about what it means to be lost. I've been thinking about that everyone matters to God, even those who don't care about God. It struck me that being lost has to do with a lot of things, but I think at the the heart of being lost, at the center of it, the crux of the matter, is our utter need for God. You see, I think that when we know how much we need God, we're no longer lost. That when we think we have it all down, or we think we have no issues, or we think we have no imperfections, or when we focus only on the reflection of ourselves in the window, it's then, in fact, that we are really lost. Not long ago, someone sent me a fascinating article on a kind of Japanese art it's a, kind of pot, it's a kind of art that has to do with pottery. I'm going to mispronounce the Japanese word, and forgive me for that. But in paraphrase form, the article about this kind of art says, when most people have a pot that has a crack or is broken, they want the pot to either be repaired so it looks like new or to toss it out. But there's a kind of Japanese art called kintsugi, 
or Kintsugi, I'm not sure, forgive me again, that holds a different philosophy. Rather than hiding imperfections, this Japanese art restores pots by incorporating the damage into the aesthetic of the repair. The flaw is not hidden, but it's highlighted. Hmm. Imagine if we were willing to highlight the ways in which we've been repaired by God. With this type of art, broken pieces of the pot are glued back together and a, a type of lacquer is applied, so the restored object, the cracks are visible, not hidden. And many have come to believe that such a pot is more beautiful than it was without its imperfections. In other words, the greatest beauty is found in the imperfections and when flaws are not hidden. Wow, what if we viewed ourselves that way? Well, what if we came to view the truth that God views us that way? That it's our imperfections that make us beautiful to God. It's our imperfections that make us dependent upon God. You see, when we seek perfection, when we seek to be without sin in this culture of ours that seems to want to highlight perfection and having it all together, we begin to lose who we really are. But when we allow God, invite God, give God who we really are with all of our imperfections, all of our flaws, all of our sins, it's then that God takes us and shapes us and forms us into imperfectly perfect human beings. You know, we were never made to be separate, independent, or isolated from God. It's impossible to exist without errors, mistakes, and missing the mark, and in fact, errors and mistakes and missing the mark are the direct path to God. And when we splay ourselves open before God, laying out all we are before God as we are, it's then we're no longer lost, but it's then that we are found. And the more and more we give ourselves to God each and every day, just as we are, the more and more we are found, and the more we discover who and why God created us to begin with. And I would say the more and more we acknowledge, appreciate, and celebrate the imperfections in people around us, it's the more and more we discover how imperfectly perfect they were made by God, too. If only humankind had such humility and grace. Remember earlier I shared the story of the sheep on the balcony in Vale? I have felt that way sometimes. Stuck, lost. All I could see was my own reflection in the damn window. And whenever we're in such a place, whenever we are in such a place overall or simply with regard to a specific issue or relationship in our lives, it's then that Christ invites us to come home. To admit that we're stuck, to acknowledge that we're lost, to say we need God's help. And the great news about all of this is that every one of us gets lost now and then and that God is seeking and searching for us because God knows we are never meant to go at it alone. We're never meant to get ourselves off whatever balcony we've been stuck on. And thank you, thank you, thank you, God 
for making us so imperfect so that we know that we need you desperately and that we can learn to love and accept and celebrate the imperfections in people all around us. And let us pray.